with Paul's letters, we have taken them chronologically to kind of lay out the change in the culture and the things that have been taking place. The ones written during the book of Acts were Galatians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Romans. All of those were written during the 28 chapters that we call the book of Acts. But the last two books that we studied, Colossians and Ephesians, and the rest of Paul's writings will be written from prison. Now, prison wasn't like what you pictured, uh, like the Philippian jailer or some dungeon for a Roman citizen. It was completely different. Um, you remember when Acts was before Festus in Caesarea, he appealed to Caesar. He says, I appeal to Caesar. And that was something every citizen was able to do. And so when he got to Rome, after he got uh, through the few shipwrecks and things, he got to Rome, he was put on house arrest for two years. And that means he got to rent an apartment or a house and got to stay there, and he had to wait for two years. And the reason for that, I didn't know this, this was kind of an interesting discovery, was to make it so that you didn't say, I want to appeal to Caesar. In other words, if you're going to make that appeal, it's got to be a serious matter because it's going to take you two years to get to that court date. So that's what he has done. So Acts, Acts actually ends very abruptly. Paul called for the Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 28. So I'm just going to read you a few verses from there. In Acts 28, verse 20, it says, For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, he's, he's writing to the elders, to speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with these chains. And that hope of Israel, of course, was Jesus, and that's why he was there. Then the ending of the book of Acts Therefore, let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the beginning of the church, and we thank you, Lord, for this practical book that we're looking in tonight and how Paul wrote a letter, and we're still studying it after 2,000 years. In Jesus' name, amen. So during these years of probably around 61, 62, 63, Paul writes Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. In A.D. 61 and 62, here's some of the things that were going on. The Jews were losing control of Jerusalem, and it would just be a few years and they would lose control completely. Nero was out of control in Rome. Actually, reading some of the history and the culture and the things that were going on, I was amazed to find out that he would go out with a band of soldiers at night, and he would go beat up street people until they were almost dead, and he would leave them there. And that was his recreation. That's what he did for fun. Uh, the church was expanding everywhere and was actually causing problems because nobody knew what to do with it. The Romans didn't know what to do with it. The Jews didn't know what to do with it. The church was just absolutely expanding. So why, while Paul is in prison, he meets Ephorus from Colossae, and he learned that the church there met in one of the homes, and the owner of the home was Philemon, and that Philemon had a slave named Onemesis. Uh, Onemesis. That's who we're going to study about. So 
We read in the end of Colossians, and you might want to turn here because I think these verses are important for us to know. So Epiphras, Onimus, read about them. So chapter 4 of Colossians, starting with verse 7. Tychius, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Verse 8, again, chapter 4 of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 8. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your heart. With Onimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things that are happening here. Articius, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark and cousin of Bar- uh, Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of a circumcision they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Eurippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. You may fulfill it. And so that was Paul writing at the end of the book of Colossians. And why is that important for us? He says to greet these people who are bondservants and fellow workers. And in, Corinth, in, the, in the city of Corinth, or in the letter of the, to the Corinthians, we read, Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in your house. So here we are looking at three different books, and they all talk about the church in your home. So it's obvious that which began in Acts 2.42 has continued. Actually, has continued so much that they have turned the world upside down. Without buildings, without PowerPoints, without wireless speakers, without all that type of stuff, they have turned the world upside down. Estimated 70 to 75% of the world had become Christian within those first couple hundred years. And so something had happened. So when Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, we saw that this letter was centered on Christ. And it's actually considered to be the most uh, Christological writing in the Bible. It's the one book that gives you the best picture of Jesus. Then when we studied Ephesians, Pastor Brandon taught us how Paul writes about the church. And these are circuit letters. These were to be taken to a group of churches in the area called Colossae or Galatia there in which he writes to the church and he talked about our position in Christ and our walk, ending up with how we should stand. But there was a third letter in this group of letters. And some people think that Ephesians should have been called uh, Colossians 2, 2 Colossians, because of the way that this letter was being addressed to the people of that particular reason. And And Ephesus would have been part of that circle or that group of early churches in the history. But this third letter is Philemon. And where he is going to go back 
with these other letters, along with a fellow brother named Onimus. Onimus is Greek, and the word is defined as profitable. So when he was purchased as a slave, his master said, you're going to be profitable to me, and I'm going to give you this name. But instead, we will see that he turned out to be a thief and a runaway. So that brings us to the letter of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, there's only one chapter, so you don't have to worry about it. Should have been an easy reading assignment for you. Those of you who are staying up with us with your reading, you know, it helps us as teachers if you've read the material. It's kind of like doing homework. You know, if you don't do your homework, it's really hard for the, for the lecture to have as much meaning. So next week, Philippians 1 and 2. Philippians 1 and 2 next week. That's an easy read. I would think you could read Philippians 1 and 2 every day next week. I mean, I, I certainly would if somebody was going to take the time to study it and teach it to me. So I hope, church, you'll do that. <laughs> Wouldn't you guys do that? If you guys were going to study Philippians next week, wouldn't you read it over a couple times? Yeah, okay. Okay. Philemon. Just before Hebrews, okay? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To the beloved, Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldiers, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul starts out with just a typical greeting to this letter. And again, this is a letter from a person to a person. Most of us have written letters. We have done that 350 words approximately in this in the Greek. So it's not a long letter, but haven't we all written letters? Have any of your letters shown up? 30 years later, 40 years later. This one's still, we're talking about tonight. It's been 2,000 years since this letter was written. He's not a prisoner of Caesar or the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner of Christ, it says there. He's not a prisoner of his circumstances. He's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He's not even a prisoner of the Jewish leaders who started all this trouble to get him to appeal to Caesar to get him to the place where he is. So anything that Paul is going to ask of Philemon in this letter pales in comparison to where, where Paul is. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ in a Roman prison. If I'm here, man, if I ask you for, for something, you ought to be able to help me out. He calls to Philemon as both a friend and a fellow laborer. In nine of Paul's epistles, he calls himself an apostle. But he does not hear because this is a very personal letter. This is a letter from a friend to a friend. Now, he notes that there's a family involved here and the church that's in his home. This is the only epistle that is written to both a person and a church. Most of the epistles are written either to a church or to a person. But this one is written to both, to Philemon and to the church that is in his home. The uh, Aphia was most likely his wife, and she would have had the responsibility of the slaves. So Anemonus would have been the one. Spurgeon points out to believers, this, this was kind of challenging to me, and uh, hopefully it will be to you. Spurgeon points out that to believers... Their homes should be like a church. 
and that each home can have the characteristics of a healthy church. It should consist of converted, saved people. They should worship together. They should have a bond of unity. There should be, they should be supplied with oversight, guys. Okay? There should always be teaching present. And they should have a heart to minister outside of their home. So is your home like a church? That's the way it should be. So now in verses 4 to 7, Paul praises. He thanks God for Philemon. And he's actually looking back a little bit on Philemon's life. So let's read those verses. Verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have towards the Lord Jesus and towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. That even sounds a little bit like uh, what we learned in Ephesians, of being in Christ and the things that are in us. Because again, these three letters were written at the same time. Verse 7, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Before Paul gets to the point of the runaway slave, he expresses his appreciation for his friend. This seemed to be a way that Paul would write. When he wrote to the Corinthians, he admonished them for their great faith and how the whole world had heard about them and what was going on in their church. Then he beats them up for about seven or eight chapters. And then after he gets done correcting them, he also comes back and gives them some more praise. It seems like that what, what Paul's doing here is he's kind of setting the stage. He's expressing his appreciation for his friend. In verse 5 there, it says he was a man of love and faith. And uh, just a page over in Titus, if you look at the last verse, uh, he says, All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. That's the last verse of Titus. So a man of love, agape love, and a man of faith. At the end of verse 5 there, it says that there was a twofold outreach of Philemon, or that he had upward to Christ, but outwards to others. And isn't love for the brothers the best evidence of our faith in Christ? As you, Patmoses, Patmosis, whatever, as you pull together, as you lift up one another, as you reach out and help one another, you're exemplifying what Christ is all about. And that is they'll know we are Christians by our love. One of the things that we need to, to make sure of. And in verse 6, we see that Philemon did not keep his faith to himself, but he shared it and he communicated with others. And Paul prays for his faith to be effective, for his faith to do its work. Philemon was faithful to God and to the saints as we should be. So there's a lot of practical examples in this little letter for us. Now he was going to get a chance to again show his faithfulness to God and man. So Philemon, I've been telling you that your faith is strong. You've been faithful to God. You've been faithful to man. What's coming next is going to give you an opportunity 
to show your faithfulness to God and your faithfulness to man. So all three of them, Paul and Philemon and Onimus, share a common faith. They're all believers in Christ. They're all members of one fellowship, the church of Jesus Christ as we are. And now an opportunity for action of their faith and fellowship. So if you profess to me, church, that you're Christians and you come here on a regular basis and you're participating in the church, then you have faith and you have fellowship. There shouldn't be anything relational that we can't work out. Well, wait a minute, that you guys can't work out. I don't need to get involved in these things. You guys should be able to work out any differences because you have a common faith and a common fellowship. We worship together. We pray together. We eat dinner together. We study the Bible together. We have a common faith, a common fellowship. So if there's any of their, you guys out there that have a little ought with each other, shame on you. Knock it off. You're a common faith, a common fellowship, one in the spirit, and people will know that we're Christians by our love for one another. Deal with those things. Get them worked out because that's what's happening here. Paul has given Philemon that opportunity. Now, Paul could have used um, Onimus' service in prison. He said that he was faithful to him. He's a big help. He could run errands. He could go down to Starbucks and get him a coffee, a latte, and some crackers or whatever he needed to eat. He could do those things for him. But he was going to send him back to be to his master to serve. And maybe... Onimus was going to have to face the consequences of his sin. You know, sometimes when we're forgiven of our sins by God, it doesn't eliminate us from the consequences of the, of the sin. We may still have to go through hurt. We may have to experience the hurt of the people we sinned against. And we may have to deal with strained relationships. We can be forgiven, but the consequences are still there. So in verse 7, it says, here's an attribute we should have. Refreshing the saints... Paul had great joy in the fact that Philemon refreshed the saints. Do you refresh the saints? Do you encourage one another? Do you lift each other up? Do you find out the needs of your brothers or sisters in church? Do you refresh the saints? When was the last time you did an, an, uh, a random act, act, act of kindness to somebody in the fellowship just to, just to say, I appreciate you, just to say thanks for your hard work or come in and say, Hey, how can I come alongside of you? When was the last time you just walked up to, uh, Oh, that's how about the guys on the worship team? When was the last time when he, some of you walked up and said, Hey, can I help you pick up tonight? You know, when was the last time you did a random act of kindness? Those are things that, that we should be doing for each other. That book ministry that we have back there, most people say it's really good. I mean, I've gotten books for free. I've gotten books on the subjects that you're reading. I've gotten movies and taken them home. I brought them back. Hey, every Sunday night, it's got to get picked up and put away. You know, do a random act of kindness. One Sunday night, go back there and say, hey, hey, Dave, let me help you. What do you do here? And just give him 15 minutes. You'd be surprised what it does. An attribute we should have is refreshing the saints. Lifting each other up, helping one another. Guys, if you see a lady carrying something, 
take it out of her hands and carry it forward. Take it out to the car. Do those things. Heidi and Norm aren't here tonight. If it's a rainy night outside and it's a tough night and you see Heidi pushing Norm out there, guys, say, hey, Heidi, let me help you. What can I do to help you get Norm out there and situate in the car? She would really appreciate it, okay? So anyhow, refresh the saints. That's enough of that. I'll move on. In verses 8 to 17, Paul now pleads. He makes an appeal, and he's looking within Philemon's heart. Philemon, what are you all about? Let's take a look at those verses 8 to 17. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged. (laughs) I love that. Ah, man. Being such a one as Mike, the old man, and now also a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. When I wished to keep whom I wished to keep with me, that on your behalf, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were, but voluntary for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. That's a pretty heavy appeal or a plea. It's going to be pretty hard for Philemon to say no. So Paul could have used his apostle authority. I am the apostle Paul. Do it. But that would not have been the best way. Philemon now has the opportunity to grow in grace and receive a blessing for the experience of forgiveness. Love is a much stronger motivation than fear or being commanded. And so much can be done when people love what they're in um, what they're fighting for or what they're believing in or what they're accomplishing. Love is a compelling force. That's why in verse 9 he uses the word appeal and not demand. He even does what he can to get some sympathy from Philemon. He says, I'm old and I'm in prison. Do it for me. Don't you understand, guys? Do it for me. I'm old and I'm in prison. In verse 10, he says his son, who was begotten while in prison, and probably what happened is Onimius ran away and he went across Turkey, across the, 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 uh, the ocean there to the land, and then finally ends up in Rome with about a million and a half people. He says, oh, I'll get lost. I, nobody's going to find me here. I'll never get caught. I'm free at last. And he ran into Paul. And Paul preached the gospel to him. He got saved. Onimius told him his story. You know what? I got to send you back. No, 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 no. I don't want to go back. I'm free now. No, you know, the Bible says, you know, the law says what what I've been writing here. You've got to go back. So he calls him his son. 
and he's, which he always did with his converts. You know, in many of his epistles, when he writes to them, he says, my children whom I've begotten. So he's constantly calling them that. So in verse 11, we see that Paul starts to hint at what life is all about, using Onimus' name as a play on words. Remember, it means profitable and probably given to him when he was purchased as a slave. Now, Paul says, he's unprofitable to you. He was a thief. Look at verses 18 and 19. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. I, Paul, I am writing this with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. So it seems like that he had taken something, probably took some money so that he would have money to escape and to run away. But now he is profitable to both of us. In verses 12 to 14, Paul says, I'm sending him back. Talk about going against the culture of the day. Here, the slaves, there was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. And in the the Roman culture, the Roman laws were so harsh that if you ran away or you were disobedient to your master, they could do one of two things. They could kill you or they could brand you. If you were a fugitive, they would brand you with a Roman F on your head, and that would show everybody that you had run away once and you would be brought back. So the culture was was very, very hard on the slaves. And the purpose of that was to keep the 60 million from revolting. Verses 15 to 16 even states, I think Romans 8.28. Doesn't this sound like Romans 8.28? Perhaps... He departed for a while for this purpose. All things work together for good. He ran away. He ran into Paul. He got saved. I'm sending him back to you. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul had already written Romans, so he already knew that verse because he'd written it down. Verse 17, one final appeal. Receive him as you would me. Well, that is an amazing thing for him to do. So uh, he says in, it says in um, Ephesians 1, 6, we are accepted in the beloved. In verses 18 to 21, Paul pledges an assurance. And now he's looking beyond. He's looking forward. So he looked back when he thanked him. He looked inward or he looked uh, at it uh, in, in the... Um, Uh, in that purpose, and now he's looking beyond. Paul says to put it on his account, to impute the penalty to him. Didn't Jesus impute our sins and give us his righteousness? He took our sins upon him. David said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. There's a difference between accepted, accepted in Christ and acceptable to Christ. We are accepted in Christ. If you've trusted him for your salvation, you're accepted in Christ forever. You can't change it. You've become a son. You've become a daughter. When we sin as a believer, and I know that's hard for you guys to believe, being the saints that you are. Remember last uh, time we studied that we were called to be saints. But um, being the saints that you are, I know that you probably never do sin. But should you sin, uh, when a believer sins, we are still accepted We're accepted in the beloved. We are still part of it. 
but our actions are not acceptable. And so there's a difference between accepted in Christ and acceptable to Christ. And that's what Paul is demonstrating by his pledge. He says, put his charge on my account. I I realize his actions are not acceptable to you, Philemon, but forgive as you have been forgiven and even go further. Have fellowship with him as a brother. So let's look at the last part of the letter, starting again with verse 18. But if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay not to mention to you that you owe me. Don't you see a little I owe you there? I owe you and you owe me. Even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Didn't Paul earlier say that it was a great attribute for us to refresh the saints? Paul's now saying refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Articus, Demas, Luke, and fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. His salutations and his greetings. What a beautiful letter showing grace, courtesy, tact, and even generosity. When we write, do we write like that? Do we, are we gracious in our writings? Are we tactful in our communications? And then he ends with a tender appeal, not demanding to receive the slave as he would Paul himself. What an amazing demonstration of love. Can you imagine what Paul was dealing with when he wrote this letter? Again, it's a real letter. It's a letter from one person to another about a real subject. But here's some of the things that I thought of that Paul had to deal with. He was friends with both men. So he had to do what was right. Both are engaged in the service of the church and of God. He had to set aside his personal rights. Paul could have said, Philemon, I'm keeping him here for the betterment of the gospel and for the strength of the church. I need him here to minister. Paul had that authority to do that, but he had to set that aside. And he had to show Christian equity over the cultural norm. He had to send him back. So how do we see Christ in this little letter in the book of Philemon? Well, first, Paul laid aside his rights. And he became a substitute by assuming his debt, just like Jesus did ours. Paul becomes an advocate for those that were in slavery, those that were in bondage. We were condemned by the law, just as the runaway slave was condemned by the law. But we were saved by grace, just like he was saved by grace. He went from slavery slavery to brotherhood, by forgiveness. He was a slave, and now he's a brother. Philemon had received mercy by the grace of God, and now he needed to show mercy by the grace of God. Have you received mercy by the grace of God? 
Well, you know the next question then, don't you? How are you doing on giving mercy out by the grace of God? I know sometimes our neighbors can be tough to live with. Sometimes it's hard to show them mercy because of some of the silly things they do. But we need to. We need to step up above it and we need to go show them what a great witness that would be. If you've received mercy, show mercy. Most of us have faced the issue of offering forgiveness when we have been wronged. And sometimes that doesn't come easy. We forgive, but we don't forget. You know, we say we forget, but we don't. We still remember it there. We don't give um, that person a second chance or we're guarded with them. Oh, you offended me once. You offended me twice. Oh, yeah, I forgive you. But deep down, we really are very guarded and really very cautious. Well, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't do that with us? When we mess up, we come back to him and he's always there. As believers, we must recognize that our ability and even our willingness to forgive are the results of Christ's work on the cross. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, if it wasn't for what he did for us on the cross, we wouldn't be able to forgive each other. But because he forgave us much, we should be able to forgive much. Forgiveness serves as a very visible factor in proving who we say we are. Forgiveness serves as a visible factor, something you can see in proving who we say we are. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And forgiveness is one of the greatest acts of love that there can be. So we need to demonstrate our Christianity by being forgiving in what we do. So if any of you are harboring unforgiveness, I want you to demonstrate the fact that you're a Christian and get over it and get it done, okay? Now, you have been forgiven much. We remember that by remembering the cross. And we take communion here every Sunday night. So during the next song, the worship team is going to come back. And during the song, at the end of all three aisles, there's a communion table. You can go back there when you feel ready. Uh, anytime during the song, pick up your communion elements and come back and uh, take communion when you feel like you're ready. But you know what? Ask the Lord to forgive you for any unforgiveness if you dare. Okay? If there's some unforgiveness in your life, Ask the Lord forgive you of, uh, to forgive you of that and see what he does with it.